we have signed up to a profession whereby that code of conduct applies always, not just in the workplace. And so for me, it's quite simple. Those rules apply when I'm on social media, those rules apply when I'm on public transport, those rules apply when I'm in a work setting or in any other setting. Hi everyone, I'm Ruan Brell. I'm a lawyer at Avant. You just heard from Dr. Rebecca Zabo, who's a Melbourne-based obstetrician and gynaecologist. She's an active user of social media and recently authored an article called Hippocrates Would Be on Twitter, which was published in the MJA. I followed Beck for a while now and I was really keen to sit down and have a chat with her. In this podcast, I talked to Beck about what she sees as some of the benefits and the challenges of being on social media. Let's get into it. Welcome Beck. Thanks so much for speaking with us. Perhaps we can start with an overview of where you're at professionally. Well, thank you for the invitation to speak, first of all, um, and it's my pleasure to be here. So I'm an obstetrician gynaecologist at the Royal Women's Hospital in Melbourne and um, also an academic with the University of Melbourne, um, also a medical educator and work for Gandal Simulation Service and the lead of that. So I split my time between academic and clinical and had worked out that I've been with Avant pretty much my entire clinical life, including before it was Avant when it was MDAV. That's what we like to hear back. So can I ask you what led you to social media in the first place? Yeah, so the first thing to say is I predominantly use Twitter. I am also on Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn, but use all of those to very variable degrees and for different reasons. So in terms of Twitter, I actually have been on Twitter, I think it's 13 years, so it's quite a long time. I initially got on Twitter actually for more personal interests of two of my favourite hobbies are cooking and eating um, and music. So when Twitter first uh, started, there were a number of cooks, chefs and musicians on there, and that was primarily why I was there in the first place I guess, built from there and was primarily really using it for myself to learn and build a community of practice and a social network and then started using it for advocacy for healthcare issues is how I'd summarise it. So then basically then using Twitter and your other social media platforms to educate yourself to, I suppose, disseminate education and share education and also to promote issues that might be important for the medical community? Would that be those three main uses? Yeah, and look, I I think that's correct. I think the thing is that for me, in many ways, it replaced what we would have previously talked about as the tea room and also broadened it for me because I now know and have become friends with people in Canada, the US, the UK, Israel, South America and elsewhere, some of whom I haven't met in real life but I know very, very well and who I speak with on the phone or virtually on a fairly regular basis. I might be waiting for a birth or something like that and so I had some hard time to be on Twitter at a time where there were many people on the other side of the world who were awake and using it. And equally, it meant I could say, hey, I've got this situation, this is a bit tricky, can I run this by you, when actually my colleagues in Australia were asleep. With Twitter in particular, because it's public and open and you can follow anyone and everything, that includes politicians, journalists, and you need to be aware that that also means that there might be patients or anyone in that space. So, Beck. I was also interested in what you were saying about having started using it personally and then transitioning to using it more professionally. 
How do you see the two uses interacting and how do you deal with that? I think that there's this real danger in separating social media from ourselves as human beings, but and equally that I can be Dr. Rebecca Zabo one minute and Beck Zabo the other minute. I am Dr. Rebecca Zabo and Beck Zabo is Dr. Rebecca Zabo. They're the same person. And if I was going to a dinner party or a social event and I was talking about a patient, that's also not okay. It's no different. I would caution about anything in writing because somebody could screenshot that and share it. And I think that's also no different to email or anything else. So I think that the key is is being aware that the standards or code of conduct that we conduct ourselves under as any healthcare professional is the same, whether or not we're in person with someone, whether we're on the phone, whether or not we are using email or writing a letter or on social media. We have signed up to a profession whereby that code of conduct applies always, not just in the workplace. And so for me, it's quite simple. Those rules apply when I'm on social media. Those rules apply when I'm on public transport. Those rules apply when I'm in a work setting or in any other setting. Can you talk to us a little bit more about patient confidentiality and the issues that arise in that space? I think that that is a line that has been blurred with social media in terms of I think a lot of people don't know anymore how they're supposed to behave in public and in social media. I think a lot of people don't understand what confidentiality means, to be honest. And so if they're misstepping on social media, they are misstepping in public as well or in public as in, you know, in a tea room or in a lift or whatever because they're not truly understanding the degree of what confidentiality means. And you made a really interesting point that your professional obligations apply no matter where you are and in what context you are and the way that you're communicating with people and the code of conduct makes that very clear. Has it influenced the way you approach clinical practice, the way that, you know, sort of as your activity on social media? I think that's a good question. I think I have learned a lot about communication in all its different forms and about how we can be misunderstood because I think it's very easy to misunderstand a tweet, for example, because there's no nuance in 280 characters. You've got to get really good at writing and speaking concisely when you're writing a 140 or 280 character tweet. And I think I'm very aware particularly as my Twitter presence has become larger and more frequent, that there could be people that follow me on Twitter or could Google me and find me on Twitter and then I have a digital footprint. So I also think it's naive to think that if you don't use social media, you don't have a digital footprint. But like I said, I try and conduct myself in a way which I'm proud of. It's the same way I would conduct myself in public or other. I I guess to some degree am... maybe a bit more cautious about certain things, but otherwise I'm the same. And I think in terms of clinically, if anything, has opened my world to be far more aware of who I can collaborate with, that I can collaborate with everybody. And it has to some degree flattened the hierarchy even more and removed silos because I do interact with so many people. And so I think in in some ways that's helpful in a clinical world because we need to be dealing with very many people across disciplines and and across professions. So I think that's probably how it's impacted it. 
What about the collegiate support from social media? I think the collegiate support is the primary reason why I continue to use Twitter, even when sometimes it can be a somewhat terse, difficult environment and why many people are there. So I think that particularly for those people who are in rural, remote, regional or solo private practice, there's the social aspects of it, which is why it's called social media. It's, you know, it is very social by definition. Beck, you've got a lot of experience in the social media space. What are the key things you've learned about its benefits? That question has many different answers. I would say to people, social media is not for everybody but it can be done safely and with huge reward for many. And I think it actually can be a really good environment for junior doctors or recently qualified consultants to get, meet people, ask questions, learn other things, have their world open in other ways. I think to some degree it's irresponsible in this day and age for no one within healthcare and science and academia to be on social media because It is a reality of the world we live in and if there is misinformation and disinformation being propagated and we're not there to correct that, then that's a problem. And so I think you've contacted me in part because the piece I wrote for um, MJA, which is Hippocrates would be on Twitter, which is where I kind of put that argument forward, that it's really behoven upon us as a profession to be there and be there responsibly and teach within either medical school or our juniors and colleagues, how to be there responsibly rather than just don't be there. Yeah, and I think that's a really good point. I really liked that article and and how you talked about actually the benefit for not only the medical profession but the patient community and the community at large to have medical professionals and healthcare workers on social media and sharing those messages. I imagine with some of your students, they might have been on social media in a personal capacity for longer than some of us have. What advice would you give someone who was starting off their medical career in terms of how they could use social media professionally if they wanted to? In terms of how to use the social media and learn how to use it, pretty similar to any other new skill. You know, initially, I think being on there and and working out, well, what is it that you're interested in? Is it that you do want to be on there for hobbies that have nothing to do with healthcare? So some of that is about understanding how the platform works, whether it's Twitter or LinkedIn or um, Facebook or Instagram or whatever. And so sometimes that's about watching other people. And I think that would be the same within the medical world of, you know, well, how are other people doing this particular thing or communicating or talking. And some of that is about being curious and paying attention. And it might be about then asking others what are they doing and what's okay and what's not okay. I do think it is absolutely vital to know where we stand with APRA as a regulatory body and if there are any other bodies that we, we report to. So that would include, for example, I'm a fellow of RANSCOG. Do I have any requirements under them? Avant is my insurer, what advice would they give me? And I'm employed by two institutions. So, you know, that they have their own social media policies. So what? how do I have to behave for, you know, the Royal Women's Hospital and for the University of Melbourne that is potentially different to the APA regulations? I think talking about those things, are there three sort of most positive things that you've gained to summarise how you see social media having benefited you in the, in your role? Yes. So I think the first thing is, and most obvious thing, is that you and I have a a conversation. And 
I've learned a lot about communication, which benefits me personally and professionally within, I guess, being somebody that is known to be on social media in the healthcare and medical world, as well as I've had academic publications from it and connected with others over it and in numerous podcasts, which flows on to the next thing, which is, you know, I've learned about other forms of communication, including podcasts. And I think thirdly, I think it's made me better at a lot of different things that I do. I think it's made me a better listener because I do think one of the issues is that people react too quickly on Twitter. And so one of the things I have tried to do is deliberately listen and watch and learn about what is happening with those communications and understanding nuance. It's really interesting to hear your views on the benefits of social media, collaboration, collegiality, and breaking down some of the hierarchies in medicine. We can't really talk about social media, though, without addressing the risks. What are your thoughts on where the challenges might lie when using social media? So I think the first thing is to be really clear about why you're there and understand that anything that you put there can be used by anybody. And so the best social media policy I have seen is the Mayo Clinic policy, which is 12 words only. So that's excellent. So it's don't lie, don't pry, don't cheat, can't delete, don't steal, don't reveal. So, I mean, that's really how you want to be behaving all the time, whether you're on a ward round or having a conversation in a lift or in a corridor or um, privately, you know, and we shouldn't be lying. We shouldn't be prying into other people's lives or gossiping. We shouldn't cheat, so we shouldn't be displaying someone else's work or, or idea as our own. Um, you can't delete it. You definitely should not be stealing anything. And that's in terms of ideas or literature or anything else and don't reveal in terms of confidentiality. So what do you do when trying to teach others about appropriate behaviour on social media? So it's certainly something I teach on social media. So I think within the Twitter space and and also Facebook and others to a point, if I, I guess I try and walk the talk and model a particular way of being and if I see certain comments and others from people if I already follow them and they follow me then I might send them a direct message to tell them privately initially Um, if I can't do that then I will try and politely point it point it out initially or call out that behavior in a way that we or provide feedback in a way that it can be changed I do think that sometimes people think that a private group or a secret group is all that secret and nobody you know I can do differently here and so I have provided feedback within those settings. Beck, we hear from some people about feeling that they need to or want to use a pseudonym on social media. How do you approach anonymity and the use of pseudonyms? I've become friends with uh, Kirsten Ferguson, who was previously on the board of ABC and is known for, she's primarily known for leadership and I guess women in leadership. And she once asked me, why is your handle at Inquisitive Guy and, like, why isn't it just Dr. Bexabo? And I said, actually, because I don't, I'm on there to primarily interact with healthcare people and other doctors and, and healthcare people, not patients. So I don't actually want people to be searching for me as Dr. Bexabo because I'm mm-hmm. not on there to be found as a doctor. I'm on there to, I guess, interact and I said, she said, it's a pseudonym. I said, no, because I am there as Bexabo and you can search me as Bexabo. But actually a lot of us in education and simulation have other handles that imply, I guess, our attitude to things. So that's where the inquisitive guiding came from because mm. in simulation we have a lot of inquisitiveness and curiosity. 
a lot of people are on Twitter initially under a pseudonym and particularly trainees because they feel that they need to hide a bit more. Yeah, well, the medical legal response to that is you can call yourself what you like, but your professional obligations still apply, yeah. Correct. And I don't trust pseudonym accounts because if I don't know who I'm interacting with, then I have Mm. no idea who they really are and what they're going to do with that information. So I actually have almost entirely stopped following pseudonym accounts. And because mine isn't a pseudonym, like my my handle is a pseudonym, but everything else, it says who I am, it has links to my workplaces and and those type of things and website and all that information. But it's it's me, it's not my and it's not my business. Whereas I think that there are some people who people don't really use Twitter like that, but certainly Instagram and Facebook. Mm-hmm. So it's the business. And then they also have a personal account and they think it's different. It's not. That's interesting, Beck. How do you approach the level of risk when using social media? There's nothing that you can do in the world without risk. And so there is risk and I have got it wrong and I have had to apologise and said, actually, that was bad of me. I, I, you know, responded too quickly. I misread that. And as I said before, it's one of the reasons why you have to be really aware there's no nuance. So I'm known for my use of GIFs because for me, the GIFs are nuance. But I've made mistakes and I have also apologised for my mistakes or deleted things and accepted that. And I think it's the same in the clinical world or other conversations that we've had with people, that we have to accept that that we can't remove risk. So we have to know how to deal with it when things go wrong. And that's the same where, so I am very fortunate, touch wood, that I have not been doxied, bullied, uh, harassed on Twitter, but I have a lot of, there's a lot of ability to put up filters and privacy settings and prevent people responding to certain things. I think the challenge for lots of people is you can sort of learn by doing. It's not like there's a manual that you can read at the start. It is a lot of observation and learning through mistakes or experience. But have you just described clinical practice? Yeah. (laughs) You can go to medical school. It doesn't teach you how to interact in a team, what to do if you have a bullying interaction or a sexual harassment issue. or And so in many ways... If people are on Twitter, then they can learn those things and then how to behave in the workplace or in situations Mm -hmm. like that. Thanks so much, Beck. Thank you very much for having me. I have to say my prior impression of most regulatory bodies, including insurers, would be that that attitude is no, just don't. And so it's really refreshing to hear that a different attitude is being had and the attitude of education around it. So I was really excited to get the invitation to have this conversation and thank you very much. I hope this podcast was helpful. We have many other similar resources available in Advanced Resource Centre talking about social media and how to approach it from a professional perspective. Thanks so much for joining us.